instrument was the platform on which we brought an offering to request forgiveness to be restored in relationship with God. Okay, so the idea is this. The altar was a place that we brought something, we sacrificed it, and God forgave us of our sin or our trespass. And so that allowed us to be in relationship with him again. That's what the altar in the Old Testament was about. But in, in a contemporary context, or like a modern context, it'd be like this, um, saying, I'm sorry. Now, those words are difficult for some. And for others, it's meaningless. So it's difficult for some because of, you know, the depth or the weight of it. And for others, it's easy to say because you don't really mean it. So you ever said, I'm sorry, but not really mean it? Now, now that is, is what is called like an unworthy sacrifice, like apologizing to somebody, but not really meaning it. And that's kind of like what would happen sometimes at the altar. They would bring something. And it was an unworthy sacrifice because it wasn't really meant. And it's destructive. And it's a destructive position in any relationship. Anybody who says, I'm sorry, and doesn't really mean it, it's destructive in a relationship. Whether it's a father to their child, it's, it's a, a boyfriend and girlfriend, whether it's just two, two friends, if it's a brother and sister, right? In any relationship, a meaningless apology is destructive because the problem is that some of us believe when people say it. Like if someone says, I'm sorry, we could believe you. And if you don't really mean it, it's destructive. You apologized. You said you were sorry. That hurts me that you didn't really mean it. You know, so we look at that. That's the context of, of, of laying something at the altar, putting something down before God. And you, there's even apologies that vary away from a hypocritical position or a lie. There's the apology of like, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's like the placement of like, I'm sorry that you feel that way. It's, it's like, you know, I don't, I'm not really apologizing. I'm just saying, I'm sorry, you feel that way. That's a horrible place to be in. That's an accusation, not an apology. It's an accusation, like, I didn't really do anything to you. I'm just sorry, you feel that way. Okay, so we, we're learning about uh, apologies or sacrifice, placing something on the altar before God. And have you ever been told, I'm sorry, while being laughed at? Ooh. That's ugly. Like, they, you know they don't mean it. They're laughing at your face. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, dude, you just want to slap them, right? Love you. <laughs> I'm sorry while being laughed at. Ever been told I'm sorry? There's nothing I can do about it now. It's like an empty apology. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry this happened, but we can't do anything about it now. Oh, well. It's an empty apology. Or, I'm sorry, but you have to forgive me. You know, you're told, you know, you have to forgive me. The, the ugliest one, or one of the ugliest ones, I'm sorry you made me do this to you. That one's ugly. <laughs> I'm sorry you made me do this. Uh, there was a comedian kind of, you know, lightening up the mood a little bit. There was a comedian who spoke of he would get a spanking when he was young. You know, his, his father would spank him. Not abuse, but like a spank, you know, like he'd get in trouble. His, his dad would give him a spanking, like, don't do that again. You know, like, and so his dad would always tell him, you know, son, before he's going to spank him, this hurts me 
more than it hurts you. So the comedian responded to his father, uh, well, let's trade places. Because <laughs> it's the meaning of the apology. Like, if you really mean this, why are you doing it to me? Yeah? And, and the idea is apologies are, are like a sacrifice on the altar. And so all of us here, all of us here have an understanding of what an I'm sorry means. And when we come to God and place something at the altar, essentially that is the action of saying, I'm sorry, Lord, here is my repentance. That's the idea of the altar in the Old Testament. In the same way, we can have a grasp of the different types of apologies. There are different types of sacrifices on the altar to God. Now, there's some clarity in Scripture that we can learn. First, God can and will reject an offering or an apology. Did you know that? Scripture teaches that God searches the hearts of men. And it says that God can and will reject an offering. How do we know that? In Genesis 4, 3 through 5. In Genesis 4, 3 through 5. Now, it's going to be up there and you can go through it as I'm, I'm explaining it. But there were two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel offered uh, or set an offering to God and Cain set an offering to God. But Cain was rejected. And scripture is not even entirely clear as to why he was rejected. All we know is that God can and will reject an offering. Think about that. You know, like all of us, you know, we've all we've prayed, we've had this idea of God, you know, and coming to him. And, and the scripture teaches that he can reject an offering. Further, God is a God of order and structure. So when God puts a command or something in place, we are called to follow that. We read in 1 Samuel 13, 10 through 14, and I'm going to reference 13 and 14 specifically, but we have King Saul. This was a king, right? God had anointed him to be king over the people, and he was supposed to wait. God gave him instruction. He said, do this and this and this, and wait. Wait. And what happens is, he did it. He went and he offered this sacrifice that he was not supposed to. And the prophet that was supposed to do it meets up with him. Okay, so you have the situation where there's a king, royal, that God ordained and put in place. Okay, but there's a prophet that literally is delegated authority or a voice piece of God tells him, you need to wait till I return. So the king, he basically takes it onto himself and he does a sacrifice outside of the command of the Lord. It's like, um, it's like in modern day context, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, relax, okay? I'm just saying this, modern day context would be like this. We, you know, we come to church and we all set up and then I leave and I, I, tell, I tell Tino, don't start service until I get back, okay? And then 6.30 rolls around and he's like, well, God was not here. And he gets up and he starts preaching and he starts sharing, you know, weird things. No, <laughs> he just gets up and he starts going. And then I walk in and I'm like, dude, you were supposed to wait. That's exactly what happened. He was instructed to wait. And King Saul steps in, gives this offering. And the prophet responds in verse 13. He says this. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. That was the prophet. 
How foolish you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So because he didn't wait, he bypassed a promise that God had for him. John Gill's exposition says this, not by intruding himself into the priest's office. With that, he is not charged, but not waiting the full time till Samuel came, which showed his impatience, disregard to the prophet and distrust of God. The actions of some that if there's a wait, it's scripturally clear. Wait, that's it. The problem is we take it and we wear it and we move. And, and John Gill goes further and says he thought he acted wisely. He thought he took the proper precautions in his circumstance. Yet he acted foolishly. And though a king, Samuel being a prophet of the Lord and in his name, spared not to tell him so. In verse 14, it says, but now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So we see that we can move. God can reject an offering. We see that God will, will structure the way things are supposed to happen. It's not, it's not a, just a random idea or, or blending of events. God questions on work says this in this presumptuous act, presumptuous act, Saul showed a variety of weaknesses that made him unfit to be king, including impatience and self-reliance. His offering showed that he did not want to work together with Samuel or obey God. Rather, he wanted to take control of the situation himself. So we know that in this, we see areas that God stops and doesn't accept what we're trying to offer to him. In, in further, furthermore, study in Malachi 1, 6 through 8, God calls out unworthy sacrifices. This, this one, I read this and I was like, man, that's kind of, that's rough. <laughs> the Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled, not diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So God calls out unworthy sacrifices. So essentially in a modern contemporary context, like where we're at right now, it'd be like this. Someone makes a lot of money, okay? And they come to a church and they, they bring the money and they, they give it. And it's like, see, I sacrifice, I give to the church. Well, God can call that unworthy. Why? Because it's not given out of respect. It's given out of a flippant attitude of like, see, I did my part. The idea is bringing the sacrifice is a place of our heart. It's not a place of action and, and like, oh, check that one, check that one, check that one. Okay, you're a Christian now. <laughs> it's a place of heart where God is dealing with you. It's, and he says this, if you gave to others 
what you gave to God, he, he presents this idea, this, this comparison. And I presented to you, would others be honored if, if you gave, let's do it like this. If you spent the amount of time with others and the same time that you spend with God, would people be convinced that you love them or would they think that you don't care about them? Meaning like this, if you spend 15 minutes a week reading your Bible, okay, and you, that's your time with God, and, and someone else, you know, a friend, or a girlfriend, or, or a wife, or a husband, you know, your, your spouse, whatever relationship you're in, you're, you're, you're looking at it as like, you know, if, I'll say it for me, if I spent 15 minutes a week with my wife, she would be convinced that I don't love her. It's the same thing that God says. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue to examine where are you in your relationship with God? God calls it out. It's an unworthy sacrifice. God calls out a heart that does not seek reconciliation. We read in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So we see that scripture even in the New Testament teaches that God looks at what we're doing and how we're doing it. He's not just saying come and, and give something and be part of the church and, and sacrifice your time. He's saying consider how you're doing this. All of us, all of us. There, there are pastors, there are people like myself in, in ministry, who have been in ministry years, who our hearts have not been corrected. And we read the scripture and it talks about reconciliation. Now, the whole of the matter is this. It's not saying go and make sure everybody loves you. It's saying have a heart to say if I see them in heaven, I'm not going to be disgusted by them. Matthew 6.15 says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Don't offer anything to God that is from an unforgiving heart. Don't offer anything to God that is from an unforgiving heart. That's what the scripture teaches us. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's not what I'm saying. And I'll say it like this. Realistically, any pastor who would say, oh, just come, just give your money. Just give your money, give your time. You know, we need your help. Any pastor who, who is, is lusting after your time and your money and, and, and your sacrifice, and they're not teaching you, do it from the right heart. They're wrong. They're wrong because the scripture teaches us, do it from the right heart or don't do it at all. The most sincere, genuine, and powerful sacrifice ever offered was Jesus on the cross. That's the most sincere, genuine, and powerful sacrifice ever offered. That sacrifice can never be duplicated. None of us here can give just like Jesus gave. None of us here can. Not in any way. And we're not meant to. We're not meant to be Jesus. Tell your neighbor, you're not Jesus. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're not Jesus. <laughs> We're not Jesus. 
We're not meant to be. And thank God for that. I'm not, I'm not your savior. Amen. Amen. Tino's not my savior. Guess what? Guess what? Amaret is not Tino's savior, even though they're married. This, this is the reality of it. Jesus is our savior. That is the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said, no, I'm just kidding. All right. And it's not meant to be, okay? Jesus is the only perfect person that has ever stepped foot on the earth. And he offered himself in our place. Jesus offered himself in our place. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, New Living Translation says this. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Let me say it like this. Love does not, does not function in hypocrisy. Love does not function in hypocrisy. When God so loved the world, it was 100% love. You can't function in love and be a hypocrite. The apologies or requests we offered to God were not enough. If we look at the Old Testament, all the sacrifice, it was not enough. The attempts at reconciliation could not be completed because there was not enough truth in our confession. The Old Testament showed us that we were supposed to sacrifice animals, that we were supposed to sacrifice things and please God with the aroma and the burning and the, and the offerings, right? That pleased God, but it wasn't enough because we held on to sin. We held back in our confession. Jesus brought the perfect offering and sacrifice for apology and reconciliation. He knew our hearts and he died for us anyway. Think about that. He knew every single hidden thing in our heart and he died for us anyway. He knew that when you were like, I'm tired. I don't feel like going to church today. He still died for you. When you're like, I just don't feel like it today. He's like, man, he's not going to feel like going to church one day, but that's okay because I love him and die for him anyway. He gave you freedom to choose to worship him. And even though he knew you could choose comfort and convenience over commitment to him, he still died for you. Hebrews 10, 11 through 18 ESV says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So we know this. Scripture clarifies and teaches us we don't give to be forgiven of our sin. We don't come to church and spend time setting up and God forgives us because we worked the most. We don't give money and think, oh, the money. You know, if I give X amount of money, I'm forgiven of my sins. 
That's not true. Scripture says where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And because Jesus died, there is forgiveness. So we don't have to come and offer anything for forgiveness. That is free. We don't offer a sacrifice on the altar of our heart for forgiveness. We talked about how it was a physical place. The altar was a physical place, but how it's moved as an altar in our heart now. Where we put things in our heart and say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. Okay, we don't put uh, uh, something on the altar of our heart for forgiveness. We offer it in praise and worship of who he is and what he's done. So when we put something on the altar, when we put a sacrifice on our heart to God, we do that in saying, Lord, I praise you. Lord, I worship you. Meaning we are thankful for what you have done. We are grateful that we can wake up and have life. But the question that I hope will challenge you in your walk, in your Christian walk, is this. What is on the altar of your heart? What is on the altar of your heart? Because that's something only you know. And it's a question that we should consistently look at. What is sacrificially placed on the altar of our heart? I remember, and I, and I don't share about all of this that often, but I felt it's appropriate for what we're talking about in this season that we're coming into. I remember my wife and I having a conversation before we got married and I told her, babe, I don't think we'll ever own a house. And, and that was the conversation we had before we got married because I wanted her to know that's not a priority. I wanna go do what God told me to do. And to be honest, I'm not gonna make a lot of money. And if you're okay with that, I, I just wanna put that up front. I wanna make sure that you're aware that we're probably gonna be broke. <laughs> And I wanted her to know that because I didn't want her, want her going in with this idea or fantasy that we're going to step into ministry and we're going to buy all this property and all these things are going to be great and fall into our hands. We're going to have all this wealth and everything's going to be perfect. I wanted her to know that this is going to be a hard thing. And, and if you don't want to do this with me, I mean, don't marry me because I don't want you to go through an ugly time. And I sat and I talked with her and I talked to her about this lifestyle as a missionary. We won't be rich. I said it. I verbally spoke it to my wife before we were married. I remember the, the, that conversation was something that I had prepared in my heart before talking to her, knowing she could say, I don't think I want to do this. And I had to be prepared that that was okay. I had to prepare for that. So I put it on the altar of my heart to say, Lord, I don't know what she's going to say. I hope she says yes. But if she says no, I have to be okay with that. So God, help me. So I remember going to her with that on my heart. And let me explain this to you. If it's on the altar, it's no longer ours. If you said you've given it to God, it's not yours anymore. So I went in with that relationship not being mine anymore. Meaning, 
I, I might walk away from this completely single. And knowing that in my heart, I prepared and offer it to God. That is what I'm saying to you. I can look back and say, this was placed on the altar in my heart at that point in my life. This was placed on the altar. And I'm asking you, what's on your altar? If you can't even pinpoint something, it's to question and to say, Lord, am I serving you? Am I giving my life out of sincerity, genuine humility to say, Lord, I want to know you. Here are the things that I, I desire more than you. So I'm putting those on the altar. They're no longer mine. I'm saying, Lord, they belong to you. And if you destroy them and they're taken away and they're gone, I have to be okay with that. I remember I was in a band. We had opportunity to be a full-time touring band. Record label giving us a deal, everything was in order. Uh, Moy was gonna be here tonight, and I was gonna be like, yeah, Moy was my drummer. You know, he comes and plays drums for us for worship. And we were in this band, and we had, we did, we had a, little, a, a good little following in the southwest part of the USA. And I remember a record label had reached out to us, talked about doing a tour, uh, releasing an album. And I remember the last concert we did because God had asked me to give that up. And I remember the last concert we did, I walked off the stage and I almost cried because I was like, I've worked so hard for this. We, we didn't have, we had nights where we didn't sleep. We had nights where we just went, drove 12 hours, played a concert, came back, went to work the next morning. And, and these, these moments of, of, this was so hard to get to, and you're asking me to give this up, God? And I remember walking off that stage thinking, Lord, this is hard. And God had asked me to move to Estonia. You know, and, and proposed, <laughs> proposing to my wife while I was hoping I would have enough money <laughs> to buy a ring. I, I remember the, the, the last meal we had in Estonia with our leaders. Here, you can show that picture of uh, the first, it should be Estonia. So the, uh, oh man, I wish it was bigger. <laughs> but basically, those are the people we worked with. I remember the last meal we had with our leaders in Estonia. I remember the last church service. I remember leaving them. I remember putting that on the altar to say, Lord, I know you're asking us to go somewhere else. And this is hard again. You're asking me to sacrifice the relationships, the time we spent, the people that cried at our table, the people we helped, the people we worked with, the people we talked to, the people we stayed up with all night, the guys that were addicted to heroin and asked me for a ride in the middle of the night to drive them five hours to a farm so they can get better. And I remember giving that and saying, Lord, here it is on the altar. I remember one of them coming to me and said, I had a dream. And you're telling me this. I knew God had asked us to leave. And one of them comes to me and they say, I had this dream. You were on this boat and I had just missed it. And you were going and I, I saw you and Vanessa and I was waving. And he said, and I was crying because I couldn't go with you. And I remember that guy sharing that dream with me, me knowing we were leaving. Him not knowing, but saying, Lord, this is hard. I love these people. I remember the last service there. I remember the last service we had with the refugees, with people that were broken, they had nothing. And they were saying, I just want Jesus. Who's Jesus? I want to know who he is. Can you teach me the Bible? Can we read together? 
I barely speak English. And, and they're, 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 they're telling me, I barely speak English, but I want to know who Jesus is. And sitting in their house with them, having dinner with them, hearing about the struggles they went through, how their brother died, how their sister was murdered in the middle of the street because she wasn't a, a Muslim. And having these conversations with all these people in Germany. You can show the, the next picture. In Germany, we, we were in the church, and, and I remember leaving Estonia, putting everything on the altar, and saying, Lord, I miss these people. I feel like, like, man, Lord, what do I do with this? This is hard. And then in Germany, the same thing. God asked us to leave. And then even further, in London, we, we had a group in London, and these people were like, I mean, they were like family. Like, you walked in, and man, it was like you went to grandma's house. It was auntie this, you know. Everybody was like a cousin. It, they were like, they brought you in, and you were part of them. And I remember having these conversations with them and knowing God had asked us to leave. I remember in Germany having a, the last prayer meeting with some mighty men. Men that you'll never know their name. They'll never be at a big conference. But they were doing so many good things. Not knowing that one of them would pass away this year. The conversations, the meetings. I remember those last things. Because they were placed on the altar. Because God had asked us to come here. And to establish something that he was doing. And so I can look back and say, I placed Things on the altar to say, Lord, they're yours. This is my praise. This is my worship. I, I can't go back to it because it's yours now. And releasing it and letting it go. I remember placing these people, these ministries on the altar as a sacrifice and praying in my heart saying, I'm placing it on the altar. I don't want to. And it's harder every time. But this is my praise. This is my worship. And I know that you desire obedience more than sacrifice. So I'm obeying and I'm praising you even when I don't know what's next. I'm obeying your spirit telling us to let go and move forward. I can point to what's been on the altar of my heart. The question is, the question for you today is can you point to what's been on the altar of your heart? To say, Lord, I wanted that so bad, but I'm saying, Lord, it's yours. Because I know you're asking me to do this thing. The cost of what it takes to be part of a small church like this, that has a, a vision bigger than where we're at, to reach not just a small part, but a large part. Someone has to sacrifice. That's the truth. Someone has to sacrifice. Someone has to put some things on the altar. Someone has to put undefiled and quality things on the altar. It's not an altar for men. It's not even a public altar. It's a quiet, secluded place and no one sees it except God. I'm convinced I'm convinced that we'll walk into heaven and those that are closest to God, those that God's celebrating, will never, we would have been like, who the heck are they? 
Because they sacrificed everything. And they were like, man, Lord, whatever you want to do, this is yours. This is yours. This is yours. And, and we will never know their name here on earth. But in heaven, we'll walk in and all of heaven will be like, this dude, this lady, they were legit. Out of everybody here, guys, you didn't do what they did. To think about, man, we walk into heaven and God's celebrating people. What is on the altar of your heart? We know that sacrifice is praise. We know that. Scripture teaches us that. God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits praise. Inhabits means occupies. God occupies your life when you have put things on the altar to say, Lord, this is yours. I praise you. And he inhabits the praises of his people. And we think about church and coming together. God inhabits the praises of his people. That's why, and, and I don't feel bad saying this. For me, when I come to church, I, I have a great time. I wake up Monday morning refreshed. I like Mondays. I feel good. I sleep sometimes maybe four hours a night. <laughs> but I get up and I go to work. And I'm good. I, I, like it zooms through the day because I know, man, I'm going to go to service and I'm going to sacrifice. If it's sleep, I'm sacrificing it. Good. It's good. I like it. I love it because, Lord, I want you to be pleased. I want my praise was put on my heart that you would be aware of it. And in scripture, it teaches us in Psalm 22, verse three, ESV. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Enthroned is, is the same thing occupied on the praises of Israel. Uh, Psalm 22, 3 KJV says, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of his people. If you feel like God is distant in your life, if you feel like, God, where are you? It's probably because he hasn't occupied a place of praise. It's because you've been living in such a selfish way that God's like, man, I love you. I want to get close to you, but you don't want anything to do with me. And again, it's a quiet, secluded, private place that is in your life, in your week, in your day, in your car, in your workplace, wherever it is that you're saying, I'm going to, I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm putting this on the altar of my heart. And we don't do it for other people to pat us on the back or give us congratulations. We do it because we want to know God. <laughs> the phrase means God inhabits. He rests in or he sits upon or dwells within his people's songs of worship and adoration. I, I didn't, I promise I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to think of it like this. <laughs> but when we did the altar series, and it was talking about slaughter or sacrifice, and we go into the anointing, sacrifice always comes before anointing. 